Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Third Person Podcast. My name is Chris Milhouse, joined as always by the legendary Mr. Daryl Hammond. How are you, Daryl? Hey, man. Doing, doing joy jumps all day. Joy jumps. Are you doing the heel clicks, too? <laughs> Clicking my heels, and I, I even shouted Eureka earlier. Oh, perfect, man. That's what I like to hear. I mean, look, guys, we've, uh, as all of our listeners kind of know, we've been on a hiatus for a couple months now, and it's, it's nice to be back into this. And uh, I'm sure that some some of your fans and, and obviously people that listen are aware of the things that have happened with you. Uh, so I just want to take a second and be glad that uh, we're back doing this. Glad that you are okay. You want to tell everybody a little bit about what happened? or? I mean, you know, I'm going to tell this. What if Adam asks? That's true. I mean, we can give a, a quick rundown, but basically, you know, Daryl had a, some health issues and uh, we are happy that he is doing okay. And uh, you seem to be, you look great, man. I mean, uh, I know a lot of people are just listening to this and can't see it on the, um, you know, on the picture, but you know, you look, you look great, man. You look, seems like uh, everything is going according to plan to getting you back up and running. It is. It's just slow as, as hell. Yeah. It's a it's process. Okay. Man. It's slow as fuck. Yeah. Um, Anytime there's sort of a big health concern like that, like what you went through, is that uh, well, it just yeah. takes time, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, it turns out getting your throat cut is not that easy to re- recover from. <laughs> Sounds like you were almost murdered. Uh, but you know, I mean, yeah, it's it's I mean, man. Like, I mean, you've been through a lot, and it seems like uh, you're on the right path to getting back back to normal. If you want to use seems that, seems to be going okay. Yeah. I think so. I mean, we we haven't been on this podcast in probably about almost like two months now. So we've been, you know, there's been a lot going on in the in the uh, in the world and just in general. So like, I hope everybody had a nice holiday. I hope everybody enjoyed their New Year's. I'm glad that uh, you guys are all still listening, still subscribed, and tell your friends about this podcast because we are back. We are getting back in the swing of it. We've got some really awesome guests that are going to be coming up for you guys soon. Make sure you share all our posts on social media. Follow on social media. Follow us. Daryl is at Daryl C. Hammond on all the Twitter and Instagram and all that. I am at Chris Millhouse. That's two L's in Millhouse. And uh, we hope that you guys will uh, continue to listening, continue to tell your friends, your friends, and, uh, you know, get the word out. I mean, man, we've had some really killer podcasts, Daryl, and I'm excited to get back into this. I hear they get good reviews. Yeah, we've been getting, we got killer reviews. I mean, we still get reviews, even though we've been kind of on a hiatus for a little bit. Um, everyone loves that Jane Fonda podcast that we did. We were so lucky to get her, thanks to you. And, you know, the Taylor Schilling one was like, the, you know, the numbers were through the roof because she's got such a great fan base, you know, and we've yeah. got some good guests coming up, man. I'm just excited, you know? Well, fuck, let's get moving. <laughs> we got it like about a couple minutes before Adam joins us, but uh, how, uh, how have you been doing? Like, you've been getting back on stage slowly, right? I did one set so far, Was didn't go too well, but. Uh, well, we're know. our own worst critics, too. And especially after everything you've been through, I feel like, you know, that's maybe just up to your standards. I'm sure maybe. Maybe. It just, it just felt like, um, you know, just felt like a real struggle till the very end. You know, I did about 22 minutes. Okay. Sometimes you just got to shake off that rust, man. That's all it takes. You know, like you take a little time off. And you're like, oh shit, I forgot how to do this. <laughs> Shaking off a lot of rust that night. That's for damn sure. I bet. Cause you hadn't performed since like basically like new year's, right? Like stand up wise anyway. Right. God, maybe something like that. Yeah. In Cabo. 
Yeah. How was that? And Daryl, I mean, you went, FN people don't listen. They haven't, uh, people listening haven't kept up. You were in Cabo doing a really cool New Year's Eve show. I was. Um, there were so many celebrities and cool people there. That were, like, I saw these pictures. I was like, Daryl, I, I could have gotten a call. <laughs> yeah, it was a star-studded um, affair on the shores of, of, of the Gulf of Mexico. And, you know, Cabo lives up to its reputation. Lots of stars, lots of beauty, lots of speedboats, lots of models. No shit, man. I don't to live a day in the life of Daryl Hammond for that. For these type um, of gigs, come on. I didn't I didn't partake of any of it, right? But I mean it was there for those who wanted it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a that's a cool gig. I saw you you sent me a video of uh, you and David Blaine. That's pretty cool. Doing some car tricks for you. I thought that guy was brilliant. Um did you ever post that? You didn't like it. No, I think that the video quality was was too poor for it, to be honest. But um, it was a cool video, though. Just, I mean, people shit on magic a lot, especially in the stand-up community. You know, like a lot of stand-ups are very anti-magicians, mm-hmm. um, which is weird. It always seems like a strange thing to be so against some of that. I don't know. It's like an old feud for no no real reason, in my opinion. But uh, some of these magicians are just absolutely brilliant. Their craft is just perfection. He's so clever. I mean, you don't get a name like, you know, to be a name without being good at what you do, you know? Yeah, but I mean, you know, we've all seen magicians and this guy ranks up there with among the best and they're to see it from a few feet away is it's prestidigitation. <laughs> it must have been. Well, yeah. um, our guest uh, today is uh, the legendary personality if you will uh he's a stand-up comedian he's a podcaster he's an actor he's done it all and he still continues to be one of the best at it uh he's got a legendary podcast called the adam carolla podcast uh ladies and gentlemen please welcome adam carolla well thank you for joining us adam carolla we're uh we're happy to have you on the podcast uh obviously you know my co-host mr daryl hammond hola hola Good to see you guys uh, all back together again. Daryl, you just did his podcast recently, didn't you? That's right, Chris. I went across town and went into his uh, garage-like lair and uh, really had a great time and, and and didn't get asked about anything I'm normally asked about and it was just so impromptu and I thought it was pretty darn good. Um, how did you feel, Adam? Do you think it was okay? Uh, yeah, I like ask about things that maybe everyone else hasn't asked about. On the other hand, sometimes if you don't ask about the stuff that everyone is asking about, then you're not doing your job. So there's a weird kind of balance. Like, you know, Monica Lewinsky wants to come on, but she just wants to talk about her line of handbags. (laughs) And while that may be interesting... There's still other things to talk about. And then sometimes you get guests where they go, she'll come on, but only talk about her handbags. You're not allowed to talk about Clinton, you know, and then we're in some weird world where it seems very obvious if you don't bring up something. So there's a finesse to it. But yeah, I, I, I loved hearing Daryl's story. I knew some of it, but I liked hearing more of it. Um, well, um, yeah, at some point, um, you know, it becomes, you know, to use the old Richard Lewis joke, it becomes like <clears throat> Torch Song Trilogy without the homosexual theme, you know. You can get these, which is a great line, I thought. 
Yeah. Um, you gotta pull something out if you can. Like we had Jane Fonda on, but we didn't go to Hanoi Jane though, did we? We didn't do anything like that. She basically, yeah. yeah. But I know, I know we did. We, you, you wanted to do a little Clinton stuff and, uh, we got in a couple jokes there, didn't we? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a balance and it's also like, I don't know, let's figure out where it goes together. You know, I, I don't have a really, I don't have a menu that's that plotted out. Right. That's kind of how we do things here too, you know, with our podcast. I mean, speaking of Monica Lewinsky, we, uh, we, Daryl and I always talked about, we'd love to have her on the podcast and have uh, her basically talk to Daryl as if Daryl was Bill Clinton and do his impression back and have her say all the things she, she always wanted to say to Bill. Boy, she <laughs> I think she'd really love that, Chris. <laughs> I yeah, love it. I would turn, love it too. How could she turn something like that down? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, come on, come on, Monica, get on the podcast already. Yeah, <laughs> I would be uh, embarrassed to ask that about. I wouldn't. I'd be. I'd be all about it. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. Glad to have you aboard. Exactly. Adam, I don't know if you remember, uh, but we've done a couple of shows together over the years, usually at the Hollywood Improv. It's been a while. Yes. Yes, yeah. I do. But I say, like, I was thinking about this the other day. The first time I actually met you, and you probably won't remember this because, you know, you've done radio for so long and podcasting and everything. But I was actually in radio, and so was Daryl. But uh, way back in the day, I used to be a radio DJ, and uh, you came in to do Loveline uh, at a at our studios, basically you were across the hall from me while I was on the air and uh, you couldn't have been nicer, but it was just so fucking weird because you came down to do it by yourself remotely out of San Diego is at 91 X. And I remember it was just like me and like a very old janitor that was there. And it was just like, you're just like, is anybody even working here? (laughs) Like it was just such a strange thing, but you were very cool. And I, uh, I always appreciated that. That was probably back in like 2003. Yeah, the well, I mean, we did the show starting at 10 at night, so the station would always be closed down, all the salespeople, program directors, and everyone was gone, and it would just be an empty building wherever I was. It was that way out here in Los Angeles or whatever affiliate I would go to. It would always be that way as well. So I kind of got used to it, but I kind of liked it. I liked being in the building when it wasn't a beehive of activity. And then also, you guys know, when you're doing a radio show during business hours, at some point you go to a commercial and the program director puts his head in the door and goes, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Like during the show, you know, when they're all out of the room and all out of the building and there's nobody there but you and your ideas, I just kind of liked it better that way. And I always thought... It was a better time to do comedy, you know, at night versus, you know, 6, 18 a.m. So <laughs> I, I always I always liked it that way. Yeah, me too. I mean, I used to do the midnight to 6 a.m. That was my shift. And then sometimes I'd go in a little bit earlier to do like 7 to midnight. But I always liked it like for the exact reasons that you said is because no one's really there to like, you know, screw with me. No one's really listening as far as like the program director. Although sometimes that red line would, would ring and you'd be like, ah, I said something wrong. Somebody's got notes all of a sudden at two in the morning. <laughs> like, yeah, you it. never knew. It, it would always be random because it would always be uh, if they had some thoughts the next day, it would always be like 
the story would always go, I went to the Lakers game last night. The game ended about, uh, about 9.45, 10 at night, and I got in my car and I had to drive back to Simi Valley. So I caught most of your show. Like, that. now we're in trouble. But it would always be they were doing something that night. You know, they, they would never sit around their house and listen to your radio show. But it would be they went out to dinner and they got back in their car about 10.10 and they tuned in and they had a long ride back home. And that's when you knew you were in trouble. Yeah, I know what you mean. This program, I was always really weary and nervous around those program director talks and you talk about baseball and then you talk about weather and then they get around to the point, you know, when the guy says something to you like, Hey, did you do a piece last night called make your dog bark and win? You know? And you're like, yeah, I kind of (laughs) did. And I knew that I had tanked the night before. (laughs) <laughs> i used to do like because i was doing late nights i do i was trying everything i could to get people to listen at like two or three in the morning so like at one point i started just talking directly to strippers that are getting off work and i call it the stripper power hour and i'd have them call in and tell me stories about um like anything weird that happened at their club that night something stupid like that just to get people engage somehow with anything and then they all started like trying to come to the studio to do it in in studio and i remember my program director going you know we have cameras right you know we can see who comes in and out of that studio and i was like well um do i still have a job (laughs) and then i just started doing stand-up on the radio late night anyway because i was like you know i'm just gonna tell jokes who's listening i felt like the bar was so low and then it kind of pushed me into stand-up anyway so like i was always grateful for that time and it was always you know radio was fun it was good it was a good precursor to stand-up if i think back at it now you know yeah it's a good good base yeah. Adam, how many sets a week do you do stand up? You know, it it really varies. Um not as much as I should would mm. be the answer. Maybe sometimes I get on a roll and it's three or four times a week, but mostly it's once a week or once every two weeks or something like that. And then I travel and do some shows or something like that. But I really don't work out in a, in a traditional way like most people would or, or should work out. But you've got your, your, your hour of material you love and you can just trot it out there anytime you want. So, yeah, I mean, by and large, um, it, it, things change and I'll try some new stuff and, and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I can do it. I've always been able to do it without the work that traditionally you would need to put in for some reason. So I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable sitting on my ass and not doing a show for three months and then just playing a theater. And doing 90 minutes. I'm perfectly comfortable with that. But I'm, I don't recommend it to the young comedians listening. I'm just saying I've been, I, you know, it was sort of like Lawrence Taylor. You know, he's doing coke. He's banging hookers. And then he's going out and playing on Sunday. And he's still good, you know. But but it could have been better if he went to bed early. And didn't bang all the hookers and do all the coke. And I, I feel that way about stand up. Like I'm, I'm still good, but I definitely would be better if I 
was a little more focused. <laughs> Great analogy, man. <laughs> I know. Any analogy that makes me Lawrence Taylor, I'm fine with. Absolutely, right? Like how long how long have you been doing stand-up? You know, I started very early on just doing open mics and stuff when I was in my early mid twenties and it just never it never felt right for me. I, I just I I had this feeling of like you can do it, but it doesn't feel right. It's not what you should be doing. And then I drifted into sketch and improvisational and um radio and TV and 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 then at some point I thought maybe get back in you know I, I wouldn't even say get back into stand up really just like start doing stand up but but approach it from a point of view versus just getting up showing up you know trying to tell jokes you know like like made it your own a little bit and so when I kind of had a renaissance with it I, I started to feel more comfortable and find my voice and that kind of stuff. But really just recently, like in the last few years, I really started to really hone it and think about it and develop it. I sometimes do uh, <clears throat> improvs and I'll do like, you know, an hour 10. And um, it's material, even despite the fact that it's political, it's managed to not be dated, but it's, it's evergreen, all purpose, all audiences material that I've managed to put together, you know, over a considerable amount of time, I think. And so that's what I throw out there. What do you do, Chris? I, you know what? I usually, I mean, I'm in New York now and I go back and forth between New York and LA, but like here in New York, I can get up, you know, as many times as I really want to, because there's so much stand up here. There's so many clubs. There's a lot of opportunities. Um, I usually do about like, I don't know, like four to five nights a week of stand up, and I, I just go on stage and I work out premises on stage. I've never been that person who sits down and writes stand up like word for word on a page. You know, I'm not mapping it all out. Sometimes I'll write down a premise, bring that on stage with me, and then I'll just find it in the moment. But you know, I'm always trying to update myself, always trying to like get better. Um, that's the beautiful thing about New York City is that it's so it values the art of stand up so much. Where I feel comparatively to L.A it values more of the fame aspect than the actual art of standup. But um, you can still get up. There's still great rooms in LA. Don't get me wrong. I just feel like New York is a better place to workshop a lot of standup up and, you know, get it ready for TV, get it ready for touring, whatever you need to do, you know? Yeah. I've never made the new, I've, I've done Caroline's a bunch of times, but that's, that's as much New York's I've ever done or maybe yeah. some theaters or something. Yeah, I do like the uh, the old hop around, man, where you just like jump from spot to spot and really see, kind of get the feel of like the scene for it, you know, next time you're in town. I'd love to do that. I, I've, I've, you know, never, I, I've always sort of wanted to live the life of a traditional stand-up and I just never have. It's always been working on this and working on that and maybe a little bit of time for stand up and then back to writing a book or doing a documentary or working on a podcast or something. It's, it's always a radio or TV. It's, I've never really led the life of a, of a stand up. Yeah. you got a lot going on out there in LA. I mean, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask about this, but I saw you were doing 
some sort of live recording, live tapings at like the Brea Improv coming up with some really cool guests. Yeah, I'm doing a series of specials, and that is a way to it's kind of work out, except for they're filming it. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been doing a series of sort of hybrid sort of stand-up specials where we have a, a guest and they're hour-long specials and they're for the Daily Wire and I'm doing six of them and I come out and do 10 or 15 minutes of stand-up, then we bring the guest out. We got Bill Shatner coming up and Dennis Quaid coming up. We've had Rob Riggle and Jay Leno and guys like that. And then they come out, we do something together and we do it. I'll do an improv bit at the end. It's just kind of a hour stand-up special that has other elements to it and a little less formatted. Yeah, it's very much like a like a talk show, huh? You yes. A, you do it is. Ten, 10 at the top, then you sit down? Yeah, it, it is, ostensibly. Yeah, but yeah. I'm assuming it's probably a little less monologue jokes at the top, more just stand-up. Yeah, it's a little more, little more stand up, less, you know, what's going on in the news kind of, kind of stuff. And then it's got like a five minute rant at the end. And it's, it's a little different, but it is ostensibly like, like a, like a late night talk show. That sounds cool, man. And that's going to air on what, uh, Daily Wires that we said? Yeah, I think the first three have dropped and then, uh, There'll be three more, and I've taped four of them, and I got two more to tape. The did you ever have a, Did you ever have a show, or have there been shows when afterwards you <clears throat> thought maybe you should rethink you want to do for a living? Meaning, there had as good as you are now, there had to, or maybe there wasn't nights where it just didn't go so well. No. Yeah. I mean, there were, there's always nights where it doesn't go so well, but I did, you know, kind of civilian jobs for so long that by the time I got into show business, there wasn't any thoughts of going back to my day job because I had so many years of my day job that once I shifted into the show business job, um, it just, that was what I was going to do. And lucky in that, you know, they always kind of talk about here today, gone tomorrow, or how fickle show business is or whatever. I've been able to work pretty much as much as I wanted to work for the last 25 years. And, I've I've been pretty lucky. I've you know most of the stuff is pretty well received. Some TV shows, you know, you do one season and they're done, but people still kind of like the one season. So I've been kind of blessed in that, you know, I haven't had a lot of major setbacks. I mean, of course there's nights and outings and tapings where you're like, "Oh, boy, I wish I could get that one back." But like by and large, it's been it's been pretty good. I can't, I can't complain. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think that you, you've really parlayed podcasting into the mainstream. In my opinion, like you were one of the pioneers with podcasting, 
Um, like, do you have any advice for us? For we're starting this podcast. We've done it for about a year now. Um, you know, like what what do you what do you say to people? Because I'm sure people all the time ask you any sort of advice for podcasting. You know, I always just sort of say if if you're gonna do it, you know, do it in that. I think a lot of people start thinking about how to monetize things, how they're going to get paid, what what kind of success they're going to have. You know, I'm like, if you got something to say, say it and then do it, you know, be consistent, treat it like something you need to do versus a sort of a strategy to it. You know, just when I started coming up on 13 years, I was just like, I'm going to do it because that's that's what I want to do. I didn't really have a model or business plan or anything. I was just like, this is something I think I should do. And then I, I did it. It's sort of like saying, you know, you go, well, I'm going to exercise every day. Well, how much are they paying you? And you go, nothing. And they go, well, who's going to watch you exercise? And you go, ah, this for? <laughs> nobody. I just, I feel like I should exercise every day. And like, okay, uh, just kind of treat it that way. Like no one needs to watch. No one needs to listen. No one needs to pay. You just, you just do it because that's what you, that's what you do. And that's always how I, I kind of approached it because I, I knew the rest of it were, were all sort of out of my control. Yeah. I feel like that Daryl, that's pretty much what we've done with this. I mean, we've done it just for the love of it. We wanted to do something uh, during the, when the pandemic hit and everything shut down and we didn't know when things were going to reopen. We're like, Hey, why not start a, start a podcast? And we've had some really, you know, great guests. We're lucky to have, you know, you on. And uh, it's, it's been something fun that we've really just put together to, just to put something out there and just to have, you know, just to have a podcast. I mean, if people listen, they listen, if they don't, whatever, but you know, we've been, we've been lucky enough to, to have a pretty decent, you know, following for the most part. And we're trying to grow it basically. I thought I, w- I was pretty sucky in like the first 10, <laughs> but, but I, somewhere around uh, Amy Sedaris and Jake Tapper, I started to develop a little bit more of an instinct for it, but uh, not in the same way. Like when we went in, you know, when I was in there with Adam the other day, it was just fucking seamless, just seamless. We're I talking mean, about we're talking about length. We're talking about the weather, and then it's uh, uh, oh, my mom stabbed me, and, <laughs> and Bill Clinton just walked in the room, and it, it was it happened so easily. They extracted the the, the golden egg so easily. It was it was fun. Well, thanks. And, you know, it's invisible, but repetition, experience, like it's, it's all there is. And and people yeah. don't really that get radio it. background that kind of comes into play, you know? Yeah. Just having, having the reps and that's why you got to get the reps and it's hard to tell, you know, it's a little more concrete when you do stand up because you go, well, I've been getting up three, four days a week for two years now, and you can kind of quantify it. But podcasting is the same way. It's just reps. It's like anything. Just like really, really no different than an actual sort of tangible skill, like plumber, carpenter, you know, we just just show up, get those, get those reps. How many have you done? Um, I don't know how many podcasts I've done of, of my 
just my show alone, but it's over 3,000, I, I believe. God damn, That's man. That's crazy. I, That's I read crazy. online that you guys, you had like the, the world record for amount of downloads at one point. I mean... That's pretty impressive, yeah. man. Yeah, the Guinness Book of World Records, yeah. That's really cool, dude. <laughs> one day we'll get there, Daryl. One day, one day. <laughs> Talk about your bragging rights, huh? Yeah, no shit, right? <laughs> Bravo. Yeah, it was just Ricky Gervais had the record, and I just, this is 10 years ago, and I was like, I think we could beat that record, and we just did. <laughs> I suppose I shouldn't laugh at that, but uh, I thought it was kind of charming. Absolutely. How many hours a week do you spend on your podcast? Um, I haven't really qualified it, but it's probably about, you know, maybe 15 or 20 hours a week. It's kind of Chris, like a regular, Chris, that, regular like, job. Huh? What's that? It's like a regular job to me. Yeah. Yeah, well, Chris, we do like 15, 16 hours a month, so maybe <laughs> maybe there's yeah. something for us to learn there. We're, I mean, we're slowly getting this back and going. I mean, um, we took some time off. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm sure you're aware of the stuff that Daryl's gone through recently, but uh, we've had to uh, we've had to take a little time off. We're trying to get back to that consistency. Maybe get back to a weekly show if we can. You know, keep pumping them out and getting some cool guests. You know. We're yeah. going to do it, brother. We're going to do it. We're going to try anyway. <laughs> yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, I mean, look, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I mentioned this earlier, like Daryl and I, we've did radio for so long that this kind of, you have that radio background, you kind of end up, you know, you get a good flow, you end up getting back to, it, it becomes seamless at some point. And just much as much as I'm sure it does for you, becomes pretty seamless. I mean, yeah, you were doing radio for quite a long time, man, right? Like you were you were at it for a, a, what, 20, 30 years? No, not 20, 30 years. I, I didn't get into it till I was 30. Oh, I thought and you were doing it before that. Sorry. No, no. It just feels I, like Loveline was on forever, man. <laughs> I did it for a decade. Okay. But not much, not much past 10 years. Gotcha. I mean, I love Loveline. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of people ask you about that all the time, but, uh, I mean, what a great show. Like, you, the amount of crazy, weird shit people called you with was just always so endearing to, like, that's why people always listened, you know? That was a super, yeah. fun, super fun show to do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I enjoyed that job. I, I look, you know, I was kind of a fan of the show before I hosted the show. The show was around before me. And I lived out in SoCal, and I listened to K-Rock, and I listened to the show, and I was a fan of the show. So when it came time to host the show, I was, you know, kind of surprised, but I was also kind of like, I get what this show is. I've listened to it. I've had my own ideas about, like, what I would do in a fantasy, basically, if I ever got to host the show. And then when I started... Our first affiliate, I started when they started syndicating, and our very first affiliate was 91X in San Diego. That was my that was my uh, my company, man. I worked for Clear Channel. I was at a, across the hall at Rock 105 mostly, um, you know, which we had. Uh, we had Stern for a while, but I always used to love listening to Loveline on 91X. It was always 
it was just always so entertaining. You brought the like the the comedic relief to the show, really. I mean, no offense to Dr. Drew, but like, you know, he could kind of be a little, you know, doctory, a very serious type of guy for the most part. But that was what made the show great. You guys balanced each other. Yeah, there was a good there was a good dynamic there. And I, I like I said, I enjoyed it. Drew enjoyed it. And I continued to do it even when I was doing the man show and, and crank anchors and like other projects. And I did it because I, I liked doing it. It was just, I, I enjoyed it. So it was very kind of pure. And I guess what the audience got was Drew and I enjoying our jobs together. Yeah. That's what made it so enjoyable. Any of those calls ever like stick out to you in your head where you remember like, what was your favorite like one from back in the day? Oh God, there was a bunch, but the one that made me laugh the hardest was this, God, she was a, I, you know, people who are listening now can just Google it, I guess, because it, it takes too long to set up, but it was essentially a phone sex operator and subliminal messages and something about the Holocaust and, uh, if you guys Google it, Tom Arnold's in the studio, as I recall. Uh, <laughs> you'll get a hard laugh out of that. That 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 one always sticks out in my head. <laughs> I think I'm gonna have to Google that. Let's see yes. if we can edit it in here if it's uh, it's available online. We'll have to throw it up. But <laughs> I think it's amazing. somewhere. Yeah. I mean, you also, you mentioned, I mean, the man show, I'm sure people ask you about that all the time. You probably get tired talking about it, but what I, I you know, that was such a unique show back in the day. And, you know, it was one of those things that I feel like helped catapult you and Kimmel. And I mean, even your predator, you know, the other people that, that followed you like Rogan and, and Doug Stanhope. And, you know, like, I just feel like it was such a, such a different show. Do people still bring that up? Do people still talk to you about that? Yeah. People remember that show. They have a sort of a fondness for it. It seemed like, you know, simpler time. Stuff you probably couldn't get away with today. Yeah. Um, I'm just proud of the show. I had a good time working on the show. It's really just me and Jimmy wanting to do our own show. We had to give it a format, but it was really just us doing what we thought was funny. And if you go back and look at the bits, they're they're they hold up and they're they're funny. And uh, and you know, people think it's oh, we're just swilling beer and making fun of women or something, but. It wasn't that. It was really a comedy show. And we worked really hard at like making the commercial parodies good and the bits funny and the premises strong. Like it, it, if you go back and watch it, you'll see it was a, there was much more intricate than just guys hanging out drinking beer. <laughs> I mean, I thought, I thought it was great. I just, uh, it's one of those things that, uh, you, you said it the best. Like I probably couldn't do it now. Every, everybody's so sensitive now and cancel culture is just trying to take over everything. And I don't know if it exists and, and, but it, when it, it did, it exists. I felt like it was something so unique that it was, you know, it should have gone farther than it did. Well, Jimmy left to host late night. I went to go with him to help him work on that show. And it was really just our show. So we were, you know, we conceived of the show. The show was basically us 
wanting to work together and employ people we wanted to employ and writers we want to write with and people we wanted to work with. And then when we left, they took Doug and Joe and they just plugged them into our show, but it wasn't their show. It was, it was our show. And then it was left to the producers who really didn't have a lot of input on the show to now have a lot of input on the show. And of course, it didn't really go anywhere after we left because the show was really about us. The, the, what people don't really understand is they looked at it as a format, like, oh, it's the man show format, so we'll just unplug these two dudes and we'll plug in these two dudes. But it wasn't that. It was a show about two guys who wanted to work together and make each other laugh, and that was me and Jimmy, and that's why we the show. So it was kind of naive to think you could just take two people who didn't conceive of the show and plug them into the show. Right. Well, did you have a conversation with programming about that? <laughs> no, I, I was like, um, the show was really successful and they wanted me to do a fifth season and I was like, well, I did the show with Jimmy because this is what we wanted to do. And now he's leaving. And they said, you know, we'll pay a bunch of money per episode and you could do it alone or you could work with anyone you want to work with and just do another season. And they kept bothering me to do another season. But I was like, we did 100 episodes and Jimmy's going to late night. And Jimmy helped get me started in my career, and I, I feel a certain amount of allegiance to him. And I'm just going to go with him to late night and try to support him as, as you know, best I can uh, going over when he embarks on this new endeavor. So uh, I just Jimmy just left, and I just left after after four seasons. How much time were you spending in the early days of the Kemmel show? How much time were you two spending working together? Um, I would be in the writer's room and, you know, it was kind of a regular job. Just, you know, show up at, I don't know, 10 in the morning and hang out. And, you know, back in the day, he was having trouble getting guests, so they'd tell me at, 6.30, I was going to be the guest tonight, you know, like it was always, you know, you, I was getting the nod to be the guest a lot. It's hard to book the show because it was a fledgling show. You know, you, you can't get the A-listers early. And that was just interesting, you know, just developing a late night show and just being there at the ground floor and all the mistakes and the trials and the tribulations and and all that kind of stuff and experimentation and how are we going to do this and you know it, it was an interesting time and i i was glad to be a part of it yeah it sounds like it was a lot of work i mean you guys have any like um good stories from like behind the scenes from those early days of something like crazy that happened or something that sticks i mean it, it, it was pretty chaotic and there was, uh, you know, at the very beginning, it was kind of chaotic and they were serving booze and booze to the audience, I think, <laughs> stuff like yeah, that. The green room it, used to be legendary. 
the out of hand, and then they they reined all that stuff in, and uh, you know, at, at some point, whatever our thing was, at some point, Jimmy had to put on a tie and put away the booze and get back to late night as as we know it, and that's basically what happened. But then he was able to flourish in that traditional format as well. So it's kind of interesting. What happens now? I mean, you, these, like, I would really love to come see one of these podcasts live. Um, you're going to do more of these, you think? I mean, is there a mountain you want to climb that you haven't climbed? Because I, I, I've kind of climbed the mountains I want to climb. <laughs> So I'm very interested in people who are, you know, still working actively. So is there something that you're still thinking about that you're excited about that you haven't done? No, I, I mean, whatever's next, but I don't really have a thing that I haven't done that I want to do, uh, but I do have things I have done and then I'd like to do them better. So I like to do better versions of things that I may have done already. Right. I I did movies that never even, you know, at some point in production, they just said, fuck it and halted production, you know, movies that never even made it to video or, um, so I know what you mean. There's some stuff that I'd like to get back, but it's out there and, uh, I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you did you did like sitcoms and stuff for, I mean, a couple of times. I mean, do you have any like plans to kind of do go in that direction again? Or no, I don't. I don't have any plans to work within a traditional kind of legacy, um, traditional legacy sort of format. I couldn't see myself on CBS doing a eight o'clock, you know, sitcom. I, I, I couldn't see myself navigating that world. I, I don't think they would want me. Uh, I think I probably have too much baggage to be in that, in that world. I've said way too many things uh, that they disagree with. And I kind of knew that the, the traditional um, roads for me were not really going to be open as long as I sort of spoke my mind on a, on a very regular basis. So I, I understood that that world is not going to be uh, open to me and I might not be open to doing a, a comedy by committee as you, as you have to do when you, when you enter that world. So to me, the traditional kind of legacy broadcast things might might not be in my future. They they certainly haven't been in the past decade, even in my past. So whatever it is I do, I'll have to just sort of do it myself, so to speak, or work you know with people that w- would be willing to work with me, like the Daily Wire or like certain publishers and things things like that. There isn't really a play, I don't think, at, you know, there's no play at Netflix. There's no play at ABC or CBS. There's no play 
at uh, Sundance. There's no play for me in it, like the traditional outlets, HBO, what have you. I'm I'm sort of a pariah in that world. <laughs> I don't know if I believe that, man. I feel like you, you know, if you went to them and go, "Hey, I want to do," you know, something, they would they would consider it. They would at least hear you out. And I mean. Who knows? I mean, who knows what they want with any of these? These, I mean, I pitch stuff all the time and I'm always just like, what are you guys looking for? What do you, you know, like, it's just, I think that it's no rhyme or reason what gets chosen and what doesn't. But sometimes uh, I feel like, you know, we sell ourselves short. Like, you know, I mean, I feel the good thing about these, these new streaming things like Netflix and stuff is that they're a little less, they're a little looser with like, you know, a lot of the traditional rules and standards and stuff and you can kind of get away with more and they're willing to take more chances than say a cbs or an abc type stuff yeah but but I, yeah please go ahead they still have a list of people they don't want to work with <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm i'm on that list look well, i've look take take sundance <laughs> i make a lot of documentaries they're very high regarded they've been submitted to sundance they've all been turned down and they've said we don't want that guy in our film festival. Like oh. they, they said it. I don't like that guy. I've had, I, I, that's what they said. So I'm, I think it's so stupid. I'm, it's I'm like basing can, it on that. They can hate you all you want, but if you make something good, the work should speak for itself. You know, like the art itself should stand out and be like, well, as much as I don't like the guy, he still made something great. You know, like that's, I guess that's I, I, I concur, but that's not, Tribeca, that's not uh, Sundance, that's not many of the major film festivals. They're, believe me, they're they are the top of the woke mountain, and there is no there's no play for guys yeah. like me in the, yeah. that environment. That's all right. I'll yeah, it's do still my disappointing own to hear. You know, like it's you know it should always matter what the art is. You know, rather than you know whatever they think of you personally. Well, you know, look. I could be paranoid, although when it comes to Sundance, they just said no. But I've, I got the message from HBO and, and Netflix as well. But um, if you take a look at the docs I make and see whatever their score is on Rotten Tomatoes and then take a look at the average Sundance doc, you'll see that mine are rated quite a bit higher and they're always turned down. So there's probably something to it. I know there's something to it, but that that's all right. It can still still make docs and still do other things, and it's just less traditional routes. That's all. Yeah, no, I hear you. I like your. You still keep a good attitude about it. You know, that's that's always important. Yeah. It's difficult. Well, what are the what are the choices? You know? Yeah, exactly. Right. You can you can be angry and bitter, or you can just move on and say, "Well, fuck it." You know. Oh well, they don't want it. They don't. Want I do it. both. <laughs> Yeah, but it's hard to please all audiences, you know. When I when I was, you know, doing Trump, you know, I was accused of trying to please all audiences, and I was. And it, suddenly, we came into an era where you had to take a side, and um, that's that stuff is rough, man. Pleasing all audiences, you know, the people at home plus the people in the boardroom, as you say, who rule by committee, you know. It's not one person saying to them, yay or nay, it's 18. You know what I mean? Yep. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I do. But the, the, look, the point is, is there's 
alternate platforms now and you can take your wares and sell them somewhere else. And that's essentially what, what I do. So it's fine. They, you know, it, I, I get it. it and it, and it's happening fa- faster than we think, you know, what is the notion that if, Sundance or HBO says, I'm not interested in you and your product, not because of the product, but because I don't like you. How long before other places are going to pop up and go, we don't care about you. We want to make money and we like your product. That's essentially what happened with me and the Daily Wire. They went, all right, we'll, we'll do it on our platform. And they got money and they have a platform. So I'll just go over there. That's essentially what you're seeing with a lot of podcasting now. You're seeing it with a lot of online stuff. Somebody is going to create, you you can't tell a group of people they're essentially not welcome at this party before someone else throws a party and says, you're invited, you can come over to my party. And that's essentially where we're at right now. Yeah, and it's it's sort of, we're like, moving at break speed away from the day when the ABC, NBC, CBS controlled all broadcast content or most of it, even when HBO joined in and Showtime, right? I mean, these things keep popping up. I mean, a kid doing shadow puppets could get 11 million views, you know, right. on, on YouTube. So it's kind of a, 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 it's the wild west almost. I agree. Welcome to the new age, gentlemen. <laughs> you know, like this is just, it is what it is now. And, you know, I, I think it's good for stand-ups a lot. I mean, we can, it, you see like a lot of stand-ups that are really great who never really got their chance to shine. I'm seeing that a lot more now because of social media, because of these other outlets. They're getting them, you know, the views and the and the popularity, the followers. And now, you know, there's some guys that are coming up and I'm like, wow, like you've you've been overdue for a special. I'm glad you got it. Like, you know, that type of stuff. And of course, there's the other end of that, too, where there's people that have fucking no talent, in my opinion, who happen to be good at one little thing. They do a dance on TikTok or whatever the fuck. And then they end up, you know, selling out, you know, comedy clubs across the country. And you're like, I can't believe that this is a thing now. But, you know, it is the the new age that we're living in. I mean, it, it helps and hurts and, you know, it's all in between. I don't know. Well, you know, the point is, is. You just put your head down, you go to work. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm not here trying to make sense out of everything. Just deliver some yeah. products, show up, go to work. Universe has a way of sort of settling. And that's all I really do. Just get up and go to work. I don't I don't think that much about this, that or the other or what's around the corner. Just just get up, just treat it, treat it like a job. Yeah. And Deliver. best chance, yeah, do good work. And then uh, that'll give you the best shot at success. Very Chris well Mellhouse, said. what can you add to that? Very well said. I can't add much to that. Uh, Daryl, you have anything else for Adam before we uh, wrap up here? No, I just hope to be on your podcast again one day. It's a great experience. It's fun well, as well. We'll do it. We'll do it soon, my friend. Sure. That would be yeah, lovely. Me too. <laughs> that would be lovely. Um, Thank you so much for taking your time with us today. Thanks, Daryl. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you having me.
Yeah. Is there anything you want to plug real quick before we uh, we wrap up? Uh, you can just go to amcarola.com. That'll have books or live dates or whatever. It's yeah. all there. All right. Well, uh, make sure everyone checks out adamcarolla.com and uh, obviously Adam's podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Adam, for being on the show. And hopefully uh, we'll get to do some stand-up all together soon. I look forward to it. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, Adam. Take care. Appreciate Bye. it. Bye, Daryl. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was Adam Carolla, the legendary Adam Carolla. Daryl, what would you what'd you think of the uh, the interview here? I thought I was a little lame, but you did quite well. And uh, he did. I'm sure, well. I wasn't talking too much. I feel like I kept jumping in there, and I'm like, I don't know if Daryl's sick of t- hearing me talk again. No, I think it goes the way it's supposed to go. You know, <clears throat> whatever's whatever's flowing for you at the time. You know, I didn't have a lot to say. You know, I'm just <clears throat> way more low energy than I want to be. But I mean, I did get my throat cut a couple of weeks ago. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was expecting Adam to ask about it, but uh, I I know that um, you know he's he's a busy guy, and he uh, maybe just was worried about bringing it up. But did you? I don't know if you want to talk about it before we go. But I mean, um, I you know, he had some uh, he had a pretty you know serious surgery here on uh, on your throat and your brain. So do you want to you know give us a little bit more about what happened? Um, my left arm went numb while I was in a COVID testing site, which was great luck because they had me in an ambulance pretty soon. And, um, you know, there turned out there was a blocked artery, uh, in my brain and had been for a long time, which is mystifying to hear because I've certainly done, you know, CAT scans and and MRIs before. Hmm. Um, and then they had to go and cut the carotid artery which is, you know, everything that it's cracked up to be. It's, there's four carotid arteries. They all supply important oxygen to the brain. And one of my arteries wasn't delivering oxygen to my brain. And I didn't know. I mean, I just thought I was, you know, my own loopy Daryl, you know, um, low energy Daryl, you know. So um, they did this drastic surgery and, you know, being a, Getting your throat cut is a great appetite, uh, appetite suppressant, and um, it's it's less like you had an, an incision than it was you were pushed off a building on and fell on a pile of bricks. Oh shit! It, it, it reminds me so much of when I was an automobile an automobile accident. Yeah, it's wow, that your whole, your whole body feels it. Yeah, it's that impactful. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's your throat. Well, do you notice now that you have more energy now that they were able to get? Oh, no, no, it's going to, it's going to take time to recover. They're telling me in three months, I'll be shiny and new. Okay. But I mean, I feel like you were, you bounced back so quick from the surgery. I, I was expecting you to kind of be, you know, uh, I don't use the word down, but like, you know, just out for the count for like a, a few weeks. But I mean, you know, a few days later, you were already out of the hospital and, back on your feet and kind of, you know, getting back. Not really back on my feet. I mean, I recorded for SNL and then had to come home and lay in bed for 24 hours. It was so hard. Yeah, that's that's tough. You know, and then I I recorded for them recently um, and it was easier, you know, getting back to normal, but really slowly, you know. Yeah, and I told you I I went by uh, SNL, went to a taping a friend of mine's really uh, a big fan of the one of the bands that was on there recently, mm-hmm. the Bleachers, and uh, everybody was asking about you, man. Everybody was like, "Oh, like you know, Keenan was uh, you know very concerned, and he loves you, and I know you love him." But uh, you know, everyone was just so happy 
to hear me say, oh, by the way, Daryl's doing great. Like, you know, because they were all asking. I mean, you know, I'm expected a full recovery, but not a speedy one. No, but, you know, that's okay, man. As long as you're, you get there, eventually it doesn't need to be, you know, fast. I'd rather you take your time and get there, you know, rather than try to speed it up or go too fast, you know, getting back out there. Yeah, b- believe me, Mother Nature will not allow you to overdo it. I mean, the risk of re-injury is significant, and I just my whole body is telling me, you know, it's like when you when you feel yourself getting sick, and your whole body is telling you you need to lay down. So yeah, yeah. what I need to, I do, I do. You know, I know you agree with this sentiment, but I'm just going to say it uh, in case uh, anybody's listening from Cedar Sinai. I want to say thank you for taking care of you. I mean, those doctors and nurses really did a a great job with you, and I know you agree, right? Well, I mean, this guy that worked on me, I don't, I don't want to say his name because he probably doesn't want it and he certainly doesn't need a reputation. I mean, if you stop to consider that he made a an enormous cut across my jug, jugular and the cut was so skillfully done, it never required antiseptic or antibiotic. Oh. It never was, it never oozed or was messy. And the cut was so good that I was able to record for SNL nine days later. Okay. These guys know how to get in and get out without <clears throat> causing too much damage. Now, as it is, there's a lot of damage, but I mean, the fact that I'm up and around and going to lunch is testimony to how skilled. Like I went to a follow-up a doctor with another doctor and, um, he looked at the cut really closely and he went, wow. It's, it's like a mechanic looking at the engine of a Lam- Lamborghini. Just like, <laughs> whoa, holy shit, that guy's good. Wow. wow, that's awesome. Well, that's, I mean, glad that you were in such good hands, man. And I'm glad that uh, everything has, you know, has has panned out as well as it has. You know, I'm, I'm glad that you're getting back to normal, even if it's slow being, you know, a slow going, I should say. Thank you. But, we're glad to have you back, and we're glad to be back on this podcast, man. We've, uh, we've we took some nice time off, and I'm I'm glad that everyone has been able to, you know, tune in and listen. And uh, I hope everyone will continue to tell their friends. Like I said in the beginning of this, make sure you add everybody on social media. Daryl's at Daryl C Hammond. I am at Chris Millhouse. Two L's in Millhouse. Adam Carolla, I believe, is just at Adam Carolla. And uh, you know, tell your friends, share the posts, all that good stuff. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And we've got another great episode coming up for you soon. So we'll be back soon. Take care, everyone.